Dusk Dawn is one of the most magical poker rooms in the world, but its owner Rob Young once famously called it a shed on an industrial estate in Nottingham. Refreshingly honest, daring, balls bigger than King Kong, uh, Rob Young is one of the driving forces behind Party Poker's return to profitability and one of the most formidable non-professional poker players sitting in the highest cash games in the world. In this episode of I Am High Stakes Poker, we talk about Rob Young's disabled sister and how that was his driving force behind earning his first million, why lying about your age is a good thing, and also his 10 golden rules for life that have led to him taking a seat in poker's top table. How's life, Rob? Good. I'm just about to go and play. Um, two o'clock start, Mr. Robo tells me. Don't be late. The man who's in charge of all the action? Yeah. Andrew's been uh, doing some real great stuff recently, arranging these games around the world. We, we had like uh, two weeks on a boat in, at the PCA. Uh, we played nine days non-stop and uh, we were at Bahama and he's kind of taking his cash game on the road, which is really cool for us all because we'll get, we, we get to play and see each other more often. You're becoming a professional poker player, Rob. Unprofessional poker player. I had, uh, um, I had dinner with Talal Security in London the other day, and I was saying how there used to be a time when there was, you know, the, the professional poker players, and it would all leech around so-called whales, and I'm sure they, they still exist in the game, but there's, yeah. a different, there's a different character now, like you and Talal and Carrie, you know. Uh, I said to Talal, who were some of the best players who are non-professionals, and you were the first person he named. So it, it has changed and evolved. It, is it, how has that happened? I think it's just uh, playing with the best players. Um, I mean, generally I'll play anybody. I'll play at a table of, of pros, of elite pros, or I'll play at a table of uh, businessmen. I just like playing. Um, and I think naturally by playing against good players, you're gonna, you're gonna get better. Um, I played with Talal, I played with him a couple of times. Um, played with Paul Newey quite a few times. And uh, the thing about businessmen is they don't stay bad players for long. Um, right. they're gonna, there's a reason why they're successful businessmen. So they're going to pick up things, they're going to learn, and they're going to improve the game. But ultimately, the elite pros are always going to be... I mean, before we get to you being a, a semi-pro, pro, whatever you want to call yourself, let's go back a little bit. Uh, when you was a kid and you were thinking about growing up, what is it that you wanted to be? I want to be a marine biologist. A marine biologist? Yeah. Why? I was interested in sharks and things like that at school and, and nature. Um, but uh, that never materialised. So uh, I went to university for a week. I, I quit after the first week, Freshers Week, and I was out in the big world on my own. So I decided that that wasn't going to be my avenue. And to be fair, the first thing my dad did when I was, uh, when I was 18 was take me down the bookies. So it was kind of in my blood. I'm half Chinese. so. It's in my blood to be a gambler. It's interesting how you say you, you, you grew up as uh, being interested in sharks <laughs> and, and, and fish and now you're in the poker industry. I like that one. Yeah, I mean, the poker industry, it's an interesting, it's an interesting um, representation of life, how uh, the fittest survive and um, the amount of hard work and dedication that some of these elite pros put in. You know, the rest of us go home and go to sleep. These guys are going through the hands, analysing what they've done wrong. Um, yeah, they deserve everything they get, in my opinion. I interviewed uh, the Greenwoods last time he was in Jeju, in, in that seat, Luke and Sam. And um, I was asking him, I said, everybody who's successful, you know, they have to go through some real hard times and some challenging times and some turmoil in order to be successful. And both of them, one after another, were like, nah, 
life was pretty easy for us. Um, I so think some of these guys are really bright, though, aren't they, naturally? Yeah, I'm going to say um, that they're outliers, right? So what, what, were, what were some of the major challenges for you growing up that you, and what did you learn from those, Rob? Major challenges for me growing up, I mean, my mum was a, um, she was a hairdresser, and um, my dad was an engineer, so I didn't really come from, like, a, an, an educated family, and they, they wanted me to go to university. It was, like, a big thing, they wanted me to go to university. Well, I went for a week and then jacked it in, kind of wanted to prove to them that I didn't need to have like a good education to kind of do okay. So that kind of motivated me uh, um, a little bit. And, uh, but generally just, just the challenges that are being organized, focusing, understanding your objectives, understanding the basics in, in all things in life. I kind of have 10 golden rules that I, that I live by. Um, and sometimes I vary from those and things always go wrong. So I remember when I was 30, when I had like four or five years off, I didn't do any work at all. Um, I went around some of the universities and some of the colleges um, in, in, in the UK and I actually lectured on these, these, these 10 golden rules. And uh, I think a, a few of the students have actually messaged me since or wrote to me and said, oh, wow, that worked, you know. So really sticking to the basics and uh, simplifying things down um, is generally, you know, it generally helps you get over the challenges because things just go wrong. In life, things just go wrong. Like, you can just wake up tomorrow and something's like out of your control can go wrong. And you can either be positive about it, it happened, move on, or you can just dwell in the past and be negative. And if something happens outside of your control, then there's nothing you can do about it. And so it's kind of been a lot of life lessons for me on things that have gone wrong in my businesses or, or in my life um, where where I've been able to say, was that within my control? Yes or no? Yes, well, how can I make sure it doesn't happen again? No, fuck it, move on. What are some of those 10 golden rules? Oh, it's to go through don't, don't, them. Don't do all well, the One ten, of them is if it's outside of your control, forget it. That's one of the rules. Hmm. Um, a big one, one for me is tomorrow's another day. So, so no matter what happens today, you wake up tomorrow, you're fresh. Tomorrow's, tomorrow's another day. Move, move on. So, so, you know, I mean, from my, from, from my point of view, you know, most of my golden rules are about about positive mental attitude. I also have things that I stuck by, which is uh, it's always better to to work with people that you've known for a long time. You can get the best out of them. Whereas you take someone new who you don't know, the the, the, the they come with baggage. Whereas I would rather have someone I've known for 10, 15 years, I know their strengths, know their weaknesses, I'm able to get the best out of them. So certain business things like that, which are quite contrary against normal normal business uh, methodology. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've all come true for me. And, um, and I, I, would, I would definitely think that whenever I'm making mistakes, and I'm feeling down, something's going wrong, uh, my girlfriend Alex, she, uh, she wrote my 10 golden rules up and put them in the shower for me. So every time I know when I'm in the shower, I look across and I think, and I read them every morning. That, that is super important, though, if you want to be successful, is to have some sort of automated systems around you that can continually remind you to get into, like, a mindfulness state, I guess, or, you know, stop drifting to the future, stop drifting behind, like, and just get really super present. Yeah, and also, um, very important things um, about trusting your gut, and one of my golden rules is JFD. Just fucking do it. Don't mess about. Mm. You know, don't 
just make a decision, and that's something that uh, yeah, that's that's done me in good in good in good way. But I think like just generally, whatever everyone's going to have ten lessons that they've learned throughout their lives. Have, writing those ten most important lessons down, and making sure you stick by those, and obviously you can take one out, put one in. Uh, that's that, that's that's really held me in in good stead. I mean, sometimes like uh, you know, when things have been really like going wrong, like uh, um, you know, just reading that in the showers made me think it's not that bad, you mm -hmm. know. Because yeah. we all make mistakes, you know, in life and in business and in poker, um, and and a lot of the mistakes can be avoided if if you learn all the time and just reminding yourself and keep yourself on the straight and narrow. I think it's it's really important. It's so easy to, to lose in the cash game and play badly the next game because of what happened in the previous game. But it's actually irrelevant, isn't it? Cash game, cash game is just life. They're gone forever. Your end result is your result when you're in your coffin. It's not one night. Yeah, I felt stupid asking you coming in here, like, how did you do last night? Because I knew as soon as I said it was, <laughs> it was irrelevant. It's completely know? irrelevant. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing that I never do in poker and in life is I never chase. And I think, although I'm would not I'm not as strong as the I study as much as the uh, the elite poker players. If I'm losing, I don't know, hundred pounds, uh, one minute to twelve, and the game's finishing, I don't play the hand any different mm. to whether I'm winning hundred pounds. So I think that's 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 something that's pretty strong. When you decided you were going to leave university, and there was a little bit in your mind about wanting to maybe wanting to prove your parents wrong or to show your parents that you could be a success. When did that become a reality? When was you able to, you know, look them in the eye and they were like, hold on, Rob? Um, to be honest, my parents have never said well done to me. <laughs> um, I have a disabled sister. Um, she's four years younger than me and we've kind of all looked after her um, all our lives. She lives, she lives next door to me. So I think a lot of our lives, my family's and my parents' lives have been preoccupied with, with all the real life issues. So I don't think my, not once have my parents ever said well done to me or I don't have that sort of relationship with them. Um, we're always just trying to do my best by my sister. I mean, lots of good things have happened. Again, my sister's an example. She can't walk and she can't talk, but she has her own charity for disabled children. And out of that, we've managed to raise millions um, and donate those to help to help buy wheelchairs and to help all sorts of people like my sister. So something good can come out of something bad. Um, but certainly, um, my parents have never, I don't know, I suppose some psychological issue there, but my parents have never looked at me and said, like, I, th I think you're doing okay. Well, I'm, I imagine it must be really difficult and challenging for everybody in, in that kind of dynamic where the, there must be a lot of attention having to be, um, you know, spent and paid on your sister because of a disability. But then that takes kind of the, the spotlight away from yourself. I yeah, I mean, when I'm growing up, the, everyone we were all focused on my sister because we didn't think she was going to survive past 14. So our own personal situations didn't really didn't didn't really matter to us that much. But that gave me pretty much a, a free reign to do whatever I wanted. Um, I might have terrible things when I was a kid. I mean, like I used to get away with murder. You know, I remember not. <laughs> I remember uh, taking my dad's car out one night when I was 15, crashing into a lamppost, leaving a note on, leaving a note on the dashboard for my, for my dad when he got up saying, sorry dad, I crashed the car, I, I, I won't come home, you know. I mean, I had a pretty much a free reign and 
the fact that I was able to jack university after four days and just leave a note on the television saying, sorry, I passed university. I went to sleep on my friend's floor and I played, I, I played on slot machines in the local pub for six months. Um, I pretty much got to do whatever I wanted, really. But ultimately, I always felt that uh, um, I, I always felt that I was that I was going to be okay because I always knew I needed to look after my sister and my parents as they're getting older. So I always, I always kind of knew that I need to have a solid base, and business was the obvious thing for me to go into. I just spent a, a week with my boy. He's eighteen, you know, and. Uh his drive is, uh, how can I be a millionaire so I can look after me and then look after all my, all my family? Yeah, uh, it sounds like it was the way around. Other people first, mm. uh, and I think that's a strength. Um, I mean, I remember when I was, when I got my, when I got my first job in uh, uh, working for a company called Northern Foods, uh, when I left university after one week, I didn't put my age on my CV, and I put my degree on my CV, so it looked like I'd got, I was a graduate. And I got the job on their graduate training program. I turned up the first day, and I was 18. Everyone else was 22. Had a degree, so I blagged my way into that, and uh, I had to pass my exams pretty quickly. Um, but I had a lucky a boss who forgave me for kind of lying in my interview to get onto the graduate training program. Um, so I just did what it took. What it took. I remember when I got my first big job, which was down in in London, working for the Mirror Group newspapers. I was only 20, uh, 21 at the time, and. Um, I didn't put my age on my CV there, got the interview, I went all the way up to the top of Canary Wharf with the finance director, uh, John Hempel, and he said to me, listen son, I like you, but you're too young for this job. I was paying 100k a year, it was a big job in those yeah, days, yeah. I was only 21. But uh, I said, I'll tell you what, I'll do the job for half the money. He said, done. And that's how I got my second big job, just did it for half the money. What was you doing then for Mirror Group? I was financial controller for circulation. Mm. Had like uh, 19 staff or something at 21 years old. So it was a big job. It was a job meant for a 30 year old. But again, I just blagged my way into the interview room and then did a deal to get the job. So throughout, you know, throughout all my life, I've always just done what it takes just to get in front of somebody, but then always made sure I worked 24 seven to fulfill their, uh, fulfill their, their faith in me. It reminds me of the time when uh, I, I did something similar and I, I, I needed to get a job in South Wales because my wife was pregnant and I lived in Bristol. And then there was only one job I could apply for and it was way out of my pay grade and I got it. And then everyone was really cheerful and I was like, what the fuck am I going to do now? I don't even know how to do this mm. job. It's like, I'll figure out how to do it after I've done it. It's like, just fucking do it, that golden rule you said, right? Yeah, I mean, I need... I wanted that job at the Mirror Group and I would have done whatever it took to get it and uh, I took half the salary to, to, to do it and it got me into a position where I was working with some of the best highest calibre people in London and I learned a lot of them hmm. and then after that I went to, I would have stayed at that job but uh, my sister got ill so I had to take six months off to go and look after my sister, I was supposed to return to the Mirror Group after that but then um, I decided that my sister wasn't going to make it, I wanted to be close to her, so I decided to work for myself. That's how I started in the business. Um, I mean, listen, sometimes you have to blag your way when you're young, you know, to get somewhere. Um, if someone, if some young kid came up to me now and said, I can do this job better than anybody else, I'll work for half the money, I think I wouldn't mind giving him a shot. I mean, why not? You know, what have I got to lose? 
I said to you earlier on when we were talking about something else that I love this this nostalgia about you and and and, and I can imagine you doing that almost definitely, you know. Yeah, people say thing. People say that I'm an idealist, not a realist. But I, I would say if you haven't, it's it's ideology that creates history, not realism. And so, where where did the money come from? So, when you're sitting down in a game where millions of dollars are, are passing, you, um, I know you could probably talk for hours and hours on it. But just you know, crouch it down a little bit. How do you go from going to a mirror group, hundred grand a year, to starting your own business and then making some real? I made my money. first million when I was like 22, 23. How did you do that? Uh, I made it in recruitment. Um, so, and the first thing I did was, get, was uh, when I made some money, was go and buy myself a car and do the things you do when you're younger. So, um, I so wanted to, 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 to make my first million pounds. In those days, it was like a big deal to have It's to, almost like the only fools and horses, yeah. uh, Del Boy thing, isn't it? Well, I used to have this, this folder, a red folder that I wrote down everything I wanted to do in life. And it was, it was called uh, Freedom to Do What the Fuck I Want. Well, it was initials, so anyone else to find it, because it's a bit embarrassing. So it was F, Freedom, F, T, W, whatever. And uh, in that, you know, I said that I had to try and make a million pounds by the time I was 21. I missed it, I made it when I was 22. Um, uh, but literally when I first started my own business up, this was my day, uh, I used to live in a pub, the Bull's Head in Birmingham, living upstairs. The landlady would wake me up at six o'clock in the morning, I'd go downstairs, have breakfast, I'd go to the gym, be at my desk at seven o'clock, in my little office as big as we've got here. I'd work till eight o'clock, then I'd go and take clients out, then I'd get back at two o'clock in the morning, get back up at six, and then at weekends, I would work on all the software and the tech for my, for my company. I'd put 24-7 in blood, sweat and tears um, just to get that first step on the ladder. It's complete dedication. I've been watching the Peaky Blinders on Netflix. And yeah, I've been, seen it. I haven't seen the latest series. My yeah, it's great. Them. And they, they go from nothing. All of a sudden, they've got this huge, big safe and they're filling it with, with money. Do you ever remember a moment when you were just... Just a moment where it was nice and peaceful and quiet and you just... I don't know, you looked at your bank account or you looked in your wallet or whatever and you thought, fucking hell. Um, no, because I, I mean, I'm, I've never been like a, I never one that makes decisions really for financial reasons. Um, I've been very lucky in the fact that, uh, that, that not being materialistic. So you kind of sit down with businessmen and want to talk about like how well things are going and what car they got and that sort of stuff. It kind of makes me puke. So I never really got, ne never really would ever have that moment because I know it's easy to say it doesn't really matter when you sit in a lovely hotel like this and you're going to sit down a cash game for, for 500k, but um, I never really just felt that way. I mean, about sitting down looking at bank balances or, or looking at how well you've done or how big your house is and how nice your car is. So, I'm more interested in, I've just always been more interested in, uh, in, uh, in, in achieving things than, than the financial elements. And I'm one of those people that, it's like sometimes when I'm playing poker and everyone's saying how well they're doing. And they say, how are you doing? I say, I'm doing shit. <laughs> and like, everyone's like, you know, you're not supposed to say that. I think as a businessman, you're supposed to always say that things are going great. Uh, yeah. But, but, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to pretend that's, that's like, uh, 
things things can go badly, 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 and then the end result might be great. But to get an end result great, you probably have to go through a lot of badlies. So no, I never had that moment. And, uh, the one thing that I, I really like about you is you know we exist we exist in a society where most people wear masks for a variety of different reasons, and you never seem to have one on. There's there's no filter, and that's not a bad thing. Like you 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 just. It comes, you're a very grounded individual who feels really confident to just say and behave as you want to. Where, where does that confidence come from? I think always doing the right thing. It's like people laugh at what when I say this. And so far it's not gone wrong. But my system is always do the right thing and it comes good. That is my philosophy. So when you're comfortable and you're doing the right thing, you can be very comfortable yourself. So far, it's not gone wrong, and I'm 47 now. We'll just keep on doing the right thing, the right thing, the right thing. Don't fuck people. Treat your staff well. Look after people around you. And it comes good for you. It's always come good for me in the end. I, I, I mean, I've had some, some book property out in Spain, and the pie fish has been cancelled, and this has happened, and that's happened, and blah, blah, blah. All these things have gone wrong. And I just kept steady, did the right thing. Something you'll know about was when, when we opened Dustal Dawn. Dustal Dawn, there was three casinos trying to, trying to stop us opening. Um, they didn't want a big boat club in the UK. It was Genting, LCI, and Grosvenor. They all clubbed their lawyers' fees together and tried to stop us opening. And after 18 months, I had 50 people on the payroll for 18 months, sitting at home doing nothing. Right. I refused to lay those people off because I thought I was doing the right thing. Mm. And I got a license. You've got so, a formula that works and you're sticking to that formula. Yeah. And then yeah. That's, that's followed you into what you're doing with Party Poker as well. Yeah, definitely working with Party Poker. It, I mean, I kind of was in the business wilderness really um, until I started working with, uh, with Party Poker again. That kind of brought me back to looking at like, analytical things and kind of a different approach to things uh but yeah i mean it's worked for me just just keep doing the right thing and, and it comes good people people, people say well, what's the young young people say oh you know i want to have a car like yours one day they're looking at the wrong things hmm. people look at the wrong measures yeah like my boy <laughs> you know it's the wrong measure yeah like, it sounds a real cliche what you should ask yourself is um how you look in the mirror in the morning and like what you see I mean, you know, I had like a life-changing experience when I was like in my late 20s. When one of my competitors tried to buy one of my companies and um, I was really, uh, didn't like, said that I would never sell out to a competitor. And I actually went out with them and got drunk and agreed to sell. <laughs> Just got blinded by the, the London, the lights and things like that. And then in the morning I woke up with brushing my teeth, looked in the mirror and didn't recognise myself. So I just sent me an email said, tell me to fuck off, I'm not interested. So, and cancelled the deal. So, and like, when you reach moments like that where you keep yourself in check, you know, I think it's important. So, yeah. being confident and not wearing a mask is kind of part of, of, of knowing that you do the right thing. I mean, you can go, you can go bankrupt, you can go bust. All sorts of things can go wrong in, in, in life, but if you've done the right thing, you can always hold your head high in my opinion.
I'd rather be like that than than be corrupt and and uh, and be successful. You know. Are you very competitive? Hmm. I used to be competitive uh, when I was younger at sports, but I don't think I'm that competitive now. And uh, I think I'm a team player now. In everything I do, team player. I don't. Uh, I never feel like I'm the boss. Never wake up feel like I'm the boss. Never feel like I'm in charge of people anymore. I mean, when I was younger, I used to have a department. So I got, so I got hundred people working for me in office. I wanted to be two hundred. I wanted to be three hundred. When I, but now, I never feel. I just feel like a team player now in every way. I have many partners around the world, and many friends that I work with, and I just really feel like a team player. It's kind of a diff, different as of as I've got older from being from being probably a, a boss to being like a. A team player. So how does that transfer to the poker table then? I try and play poker once a month. Um, I enjoy it. I've got lots of friends in poker, but it's not something that I need to be doing. I don't need to play. So I can be selective with who I play with and when I want to play. Um, I want to win at the poker table, but while the, the chips are in play, they're not real money. So it's like a game. But I won't do whatever it takes to win at the poker table. Like I won't dwell on the river with the nuts and try and get someone to call me. Um, I won't moody, I won't Hollywood, I won't act. Um, if a mistake was made, I'd tell someone to take their money back if they made a genuine mistake. So someone bet like 50k when they meant to bet like 5k. You know, I would always be have have good etiquette that way so I'd say I'm non-competitive at the poker table I probably look like just a, a fair fair is how I would describe myself and you said you went round university uh, teaching people about your top your 10 golden rules yeah when you're playing in these highest stakes in the world and you're mixing and socializing with these these players what are some of the attributes the key attributes that you see that they have that players at lower tiers don't have? Well, it doesn't necessarily work that the higher the stakes you go up, the better the players. Let's have, for example, say, if you play, uh, say, a 25-50 game in Vegas, I think that's going to be, uh, be like tougher than the 200-400 game in Ivy's room. Because you get, when the stakes get to a certain level, professional poker players can't afford to play at those stakes. So you're almost taking out most of the pros. So the only way, for example, the only way a pro could afford to play in the biggest games of the world is if he staked. And people don't really like to stake people in cash games too much. It's like, you just, it's risky, isn't it? It's not trackable. So I think once you're kind of going above like 500, 500 1K blinds, you're losing the pros and you're just playing against mainly businessmen. So the standard drops. Um, so you don't need to be that good to break even. Right. So it's kind of a weird curve. You go up the stakes, harder and harder and harder. And then the next level of stakes, which is probably like five or six games in the world, the pros aren't really in, this, in, in those games. Don't, as, you, as you get higher though as well, like is there, is there more skills needed than just technical ability? So if you go, so for example, that time when you're in the mirror group, and the guy's just, just about to kick you out the door and you have to think on your feet dead quick and go, right, I'll take that job for half of it. 
Like, don't you have to have a bit of savvy about you to get in these games? Maybe not, you know, you said they're not all in the top high games, but is there a, is there a different, like, you've got a Chris Mormon, right? You've got um, a Toby Lewis, who could consistently play in these games, but they're not there, and then you've got a Stephen Chidwick who is, for example. Like, There's not many of these players in the high six tournaments are actually playing all by themselves. Mm. They're, they're selling and swapping off pieces. If you're talking about high stats game, high six cash games, people are normally playing with their own money. Right. So you're just pricing, who is the richest poker player in the world? You're pricing almost all of them out. I mean, some of these games that get played like 5K, 10K, PLO. I mean, what poker player in the world can play those? You know, so you know, I, think, I, think, I think when the stakes get to these limits, the, you're just pricing out poker players. They just don't want that variance. Mm. Like, how many poker players want to are prepared to lose one million in 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 one session in reality of their own money, um, and I think generally the uh, I think generally the higher stakes just be you, the those be stakes. You're just coming up against a, uh, an opponent who's more similar to yourself, mm -hmm. and these games are very gentle me as well. Right, I've seen I've seen people um, have like a two million pot and uh, somebody's made a mistake with a hand, and the guy said, take your money back. You know, you kind of see a lot more differences at, the, at, these, um, at these stakes. But you do see the same faces as well. Mm. See the same people, so you, people become friends. And I think, naturally, when you become friends with people, you don't want to skin each other. So you naturally becomes more of a, what I would call a social experience. Like, for example, uh, a lot of friends are flying out to Rio at the Party Poker Millions. We don't want to skin each other. We're flying out to have to chat with each other for a few days, so the nature of the game is not really cutthroat. Yeah. So it, it's a little bit different than at the at the, the high stakes in the world. Friendship. Less pro, less pros. So it's a different experience. It's more of a sociable experience and probably less competitive. Where do you stand on meaning and purpose, Rob? Do you, do you uh, spend any time thinking about what you're on this planet to do or anything like that? Yeah, I think about those things a lot, but I'm not not any good answers. Um, I mean, meaning... Meaning is a difficult question. Purpose is easy. Pur pur purpose is to do... is, is to, again, in, in line with doing the right thing and and being a good person. So, but in terms of meaning, what's the meaning of life? I don't know. But right. In terms of purpose, just doing the right things, I think. We're, we're all here to do the right things. And um, I was recently had a baby, uh, Indiana, yeah. um, six months old. And, uh, yeah. and one of the things I do think when I look at her is I think all the better, everyone started off like that. All the bad people in the world that they are, they all started off as a cute little baby like that. You're not telling me that that the, a lot of the bad things in the world couldn't be avoided. So that's quite an interesting kind of meaning purpose thing that I do. That mm. that, that, that I do think. I mean, like Saddam was saying, he started off as a cute baby, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah. You do meet people who are just poison, don't you? In life, in poker, you meet people that are poison, and you just think, have you turned out so bitter, so nasty, so selfish? Um, we all did start off as that little, as, as that little baby, so. 
But poker, yeah, poker is very much similar to life. It's uh, when you sit at the poker table. You, you, there's that song, isn't there? It's uh, um, you can hold them or fold them, can't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's every time in life, generally, you're making decisions to to fold or call, aren't you? You know, when you say to me, "Rob, we do an interview," I can say no and fold, oh, or yeah. I can say call again, I will. So. Yeah. All the decisions you make in life are very, very similar to poker. And that's what makes poker so interesting um, as a way of... Uh, I definitely think that since I've been playing poker, it's improved my thought process. You know, I don't want the poker to improve, but it's definitely gone that way. And uh, just finally, what about the future? Is, are, you, are you somebody who spends any time thinking to, you know, like, Back in the day when you had your, uh, I can't remember what you said it now, but things you need to get fucking freedom or something, you know. Freedom, freedom, uh, um, freedom to do what the fuck I want. Freedom to do the fuck you want. So, so you had that, and uh, and, and and earn a million was there, and then you ticked that. Is there is there an is there a part two to this that you need to do before you peg it? Um, no, I think I'm on the downward curve now. I think this last project that I'm doing with Party Poker, I've got three years left of my agreement with uh, their owner, GBC, on that. I want to complete that to the best of my abilities and, and, and make a lot of people happy and proud of what, the, what, what, what they achieve with Party Poker. Um, and I think, uh, I think after that, um, I, think, I think the general plan that me and Nancy have discussed is that she's gonna go back to work, she's not working now because she's got the baby, and I'm gonna take, take Indy to, walk Indy to school. And, uh, You're going to be an house dad. Just take a, be a house dad, yeah. So I think that's what we've agreed. Um, I'm kind of cool with that. Um, so, yeah, I definitely feel, I feel like I'm on the, on the downward uh, trajectory <laughs> rather than, you know, people, people are aspiring, aspiring to do things in the future. I really like this last business project that I've ever done with Party Poker to be something that I'd be proud of. I think that would make me very happy. Uh, but I think after that, I need to sign off and uh, say I've done my best. I have this vision of you sitting by her cot, getting your old book out about how the fuck to have freedom and going, right, let me tell you about these 10 golden rules. India, I'm not gonna try. No, I wanted to grow up independent and not, not be influenced by me. Um, I'd love it to be a charity worker or a teacher, something like that. But I'm not gonna push in that direction. Um, no, I think I've lived my life the way I want to live it and I've arrived at my choices and things that I've done because of avenues that I took. I don't think someone else would necessarily take the same take the same options that, and things that I've done. Plus I had like a unique situation having a severely disabled sister from a young age that I needed to look after. And that was the reason why I wrote first job making a million was so that my sister would always be looked after. Mm. You know? Um, wasn't anything to do with me financially at all. It was just I wanted to. I knew it was expensive to to take care of my sister, have care in the home, and which she has twenty four hour care now. She has her own house and everything. I could have done those things if I was the sad state of the world is. I could have done those things if I hadn't made any money. Yeah. So to be able to provide for those things for my sister was the reason why I wrote down make one million ASAP. Never really, never really for anything else. Thanks for joining us, Rob. Uh, really appreciate it. Okay, cool interview. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Rob Young, and I am High Stakes Poker.